edition of Free Thinking with Montel, and I'm so happy that you're here, and I'm so happy to have a guest with us today that's joining us all the way from Moscow, and I want to tell you a little bit about the story. Imagine for a moment that you're a parent of an adult child in his 20s who's got everything like the American dream and going to college and buying a home and a successful career all ahead of him, and then all of a sudden imagine that that all being taken away from him in just one instant because your son has been framed with a crime that he obviously didn't commit. And he's been sentenced to nine years in a Russian labor camp, having become a pawn in the dispute between the United States and the Russian government. That's the reality for today's guest, who's lived since June 16th, 2019, Joey Reed, who's a father of Mr. Trevor Reed, an honorably discharged former Marine who turned 29 this year in a Russian jail. Today, Trevor's spent his 426th day being held in prison in Russia. And jo joining us, all the way from Moscow is Joey for this edition of Free Thinking. And Joey, thank you so much for being here with us today, sir. Thank you, Mr. Williams. We appreciate uh, you hearing our story. Absolutely. No exchange of So Before we get started, I want to make it clear to everybody that Trevor Reed is an innocent man. And that's why I took on this case last spring, or I didn't take on this case, but I'm, I'm trying to help out this family because this is a young man who was just going about his business, visiting a girlfriend who happens to be of Russian descent, and he was visiting her in Moscow. And this is a long-time girlfriend, not some one-minute girlfriend. He went to Moscow to visit his girlfriend. And while he was there, you know, they had been out at a restaurant. They had been out, you know, drinking a little bit. But, you know, they were headed home. And it very clearly kind of felt like he needed some assistance because he got sick in a car while he was riding home. and when, you know, his friends in the car reached out for assistance, you know, of course, the Moscow police showed up. And when they found out that he was a Marine, all of a sudden, everything kind of changed. They fabricated charges against him for assaulting a police officer. Authorities claim that Trevor grabbed the arm of an officer while the officer was driving the car and caused the car to swerve wildly, endangering the lives of everybody in it. But at trial, Trevor's lawyers presented 59 minutes of traffic camera footage that proved that the car never swerved. And the officers repeatedly changed their stories. And at one point, testifying that they couldn't recall if the car had even swerved. Maybe you know, it was something that they you know, imagined it happened, but it really didn't happen. And next thing you know, even with the police officers changing their stories, Trevor, an innocent man, and all of a sudden is framed and the Russian government goes ahead and charges him. And, and he's now spent time in a Russian prison, basically being kidnapped in order to gain some leverage over the United States in hopes of winning the release of a terrorist and a cocaine smuggler that we have in custody here in the United States. And this is really an abomination. And I do understand that even especially right now, you know, I think plays right into the hands of one of our presidential candidates to help work at freeing Trevor. But I'm not sure if the family's getting the assistance that we need. So again, welcome to Free Thinking, Joey. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us a little bit about Trevor, the man. Tell me about your son. Well, again, thank you for having me on your program. Uh, Trevor, um, I, 
I love Trevor and his sister Taylor, you know, more than anything or any person in the world. Trevor is a is a good person. Uh, we believe we we did a good job raising him. He has good values. He was an Eagle Scout, and he personifies a lot of the the uh, the traits, uh, the laws that Scouts follow. He, he's uh, he's trustworthy. He has a, um, a very good sense of humor. He's very witty. Uh, even in the courtroom, uh, there was a time where the judge asked everyone what uh, what day were they available for the next hearing. You know, asked the the uh, translator and the attorneys and the prosecutor. And and Trevor raised his hand and he said, "Your Honor, I'm available anytime." <laughs> so it, he's very uh, likable and friendly. He helps other people. Uh, doesn't help. Doesn't hesitate to help someone. He's very intelligent. Uh, he didn't do well in school. Uh, in high school, uh, he just never liked his studies, but once he got out of the Marine Corps and went back to college, he's a, a straight A student and he loved it. Uh, so he was, he was excelling in college and uh, he's just a, a he's a, a good son and a good person. And was he deployed uh, to uh, the Middle East during his stint in the Marine Corps? Uh, he was, he did a, he did one, uh, and I'm, I'm a former Marine myself, uh, so I use different terms than they use now. He, he went on one float, or they call it a MU now, mobile, uh, mobile expeditionary unit, and uh, but they didn't. He was never in combat. Uh, his uh, his MU uh, moved around in the Middle East, in between uh, the Persian Gulf and Africa. They they moved back and forth, you know, uh, doing training in different countries. But he was never in a war zone. I mean, you must have been worried sick about him being gone during that deployment, though, right? Uh, I watched uh, international news and certain websites uh, where you could uh, you could uh, kind of track where they were located uh, just to, uh, you know, kind of keep track of where he was at and what was happening in that region. Yes, we, we were worried. I mean, and, and I would think that right now now you are coming to us right now for part of free thinking from Moscow. You've literally moved to Moscow in September of 2019. And that's has to have been what's that like for you? Uh, it was very different initially, uh, you know, because not uh, not very many people speak English here. There's no there's no reason to like in a lot of other European and Asian countries. Uh, so it's uh, uh, sometimes difficult to communicate. But I will say this: it's uh, very refreshing to find that people uh, anywhere I go and I need to communicate and I try to communicate. Uh, people uh, are they're always uh, eager to help you and try and communicate in some form. Uh, so now I, I've learned to, you know, speak, you know, basic, you know, hello, thank you, I need this, how much is it? You know, th those kind of, th do you have a, a menu in English? I don't speak Russian, <laughs> you know, basic, uh, so I can basically communicate. And now everyone has a translator on their telephone. Uh, so, uh, and, and other than that, um, the people here are very similar to Americans. Uh, they seem to have the same values, the same, uh, uh, anyway, in fact, they're in a lot of ways, they're friendlier than in, in some major cities in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of things that are different as far as the infrastructure, you know, the way the roads are, uh, the uh, telephone system and some different there's things just kind of different. But I've become, you know, used to them now. So it's not it's not as odd or as hard to navigate. So, well, let's back up for a second. Why don't you take us on this journey? When did you find out that uh, Trevor was in trouble? 
uh, Lena, uh, Trevor's girlfriend, fiance, she called me uh, when they arrived at the police station because her and the people that they were riding with, they followed the police car to the police station. And they also witnessed that the car never swerved or acted erratically. And then she was at the police station, I'm guessing for about an hour. Um, and the police finally said, and, and she called me from there. And, and, uh, and they finally told her, look, come back about 9 a.m. and pick him up after he sobered up. And, and how did Lena describe that evening? Uh, take us through the beginning to the end of the evening itself, the, the, at least from what your perspective is. What I understand is that they were at a birthday party that was uh, for her and for another person that worked in the same law firm where she works. And I believe it was outdoors and uh, it was either in a park or in a yard. So it wasn't in a bar or a restaurant or anything like that, to my knowledge. And uh, everyone was uh, toasting vodka and, and they were, and Trevor believed, this is what he told me later is that it's uh, disrespectful if someone toasts you like they toast to the United States or they toast to Russia and you, you know, you'd sell, you say no, then that's very disrespectful. And so he was toasting with people and he said he doesn't remember anything after like the fifth or sixth shot of vodka, which he, I think now describes as cheap vodka. <laughs> and uh, so then Lena said they, they caught a ride with someone that was going the direction of her apartment. And then on the way, uh, home, he became sick. And, and uh, so they had to stop. They, they didn't want him to, to uh, throw up in the car. So they pulled over and he got out. And then uh, they, they were having a hard time getting him to get back into the car. So uh, and they were afraid that he was going to run into traffic. They were near a major highway and, uh, and hurt himself or someone else. So they, they called the police. And, uh, and I, I believe they said, uh, you know, he's He's, he's uh, misbehaving. So the police came and then, uh, and he was not uh, fighting anyone or agitated when they arrived. Uh, so uh, they, uh, they said, well, let's take him to the police station and we'll, we'll figure out what to do there. Uh, but really what they wanted was for him to be taken to a medical institution because that's the actual official policy uh, either the police take them to a medical facility or they call an ambulance to take them to a medical facility. Uh, and years ago, they used to have, I forgot what they're called, but they're like a drying out uh, facilities, which that's a big issue, even in the federal government here now, is that they did away with those several years ago because of budget cuts. And those were used by apparently millions of Russians each year. Uh, the police, the ambulance would take them there instead of to the jail. And then when they sobered up, they were released, no charges, no, you know, no problems. Anyway, these police officers didn't follow procedure. They took him to the police station. Uh, Lena and the other people followed them there. Uh, Trevor was out of it. Uh, I think the experts said he had uh, alcohol poisoning. And so uh, they told her to come back. Then what happened was uh, he woke up about I guess a little before nine and he was in a, in a lobby or a waiting room of the police station. He didn't know where he was at and he felt sick. So he went to the front desk there. And by the way, he's not guarded. He wasn't handcuffed. He's just sitting there. And so he felt horrible. He went to the front desk and I think he said a lady, he asked her where he could go to the bathroom. He was sick and where he could get a drink of water. And she told him where to go. He went to the bathroom. He came back and he said, can someone call my girlfriend? And they said, oh, she's already been called. She's on the way to pick you up. So he went back and he sat down. And then before Lena arrived, 
police officers came out and told him, you can't leave. We need to talk to you. So, and then about the time Lena arrived, they took Trevor in, in the back and then he was questioned by the FSB and, um, and he did not have an attorney. Uh, he did not have an interpreter. And he, he says that the, and I'm pretty sure he was still intoxicated at that time, but uh, he said they never asked him anything about the police or what had happened that night. All they wanted to know was about his military career, his, uh, his uh, duties, where he'd been assigned and all of those things. And then after they left or somewhere around that time was when the police told him that he was being charged with uh, endangering the lives of police officers, which is essentially attempted murder of a police officer in the United States. And so, uh, so then he was held. And of course, Lena then called me immediately. Both times she called, she was just frantic crying. And she called and she said, the FSB is here, call the embassy. And I called the embassy and, uh, they said, well, we'll check on this. And where is he? And Lena told me what jail he was in or what police station, because that's not a jail. And uh, so then uh, they called back later and they said, well, we verified where he's at. And I said, well, what are you going to do? And they said, well, we can't do anything right now. We'll wait, you know, we'll wait and, and, and see. And then Lena called and said there he's having an arraignment the next morning. This is on Saturday morning. And, uh, the embassy, you know, no one went to that. And so uh, the judge there, who ended up being the judge in his final, you know, major trial, uh, refused to hear any uh, information from the defense attorney uh, that he had about Trevor or about the evening, refused to hear any of it, and sentenced him straight to a detention center. And then uh, the embassy tried to visit Trevor on Monday morning, and they called and they said, yes, come on over and we'll give you a visitor pass to go to the jail and visit Trevor. You have to get a, a, a visitor pass to go to the jails. So then when they went over to the jail or to the investigator's office, the investigator said, oh, sorry, uh, I can't give you this pass. I've been told I, I can't let you see him yet. And so the embassy was pretty upset. They filed a diplomatic note with the Russian foreign ministry and said, what's going on here? You know, and, uh, so then they were allowed to see him a few days later, uh, and they told me at the time, and we now believe this to be true, they said he's got some injuries, which his girlfriend had already said he was injured. And he said that he's got injuries and they don't want us to see it because whether he did it himself or they did it, they'll say, we'll, they know that we'll say they did it. So they don't want us to see him in that condition. And so when they went to see him later in the week, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, he still had a, a, some bruises behind his knee and on his arm. And he said that he'd had a bump on his head and a scrape on his face that they'd, they'd already cleared up. Um, so that's anyway, that's the initial activities that happened. He explained to you where the injuries came from? He, he has no memory of the evening. He, he, he doesn't allege that they did it, um, you know, because the police alleged that he was hitting his head on uh, the bars or a filing cabinet or something of that nature, which, by the way, in the trial, one of the police employees that works in the police station, a, a supervisor, she said that um, Trevor was not placed in a cage at the police station. And, and they asked her why not. And they said, well, because he wasn't a violent, you know, suspect. Um, so, but anyway, but they said he was uh, acting erratic and we don't know that he wasn't, we're not claiming that he wasn't, you know, he was very intoxicated. 
Uh, but anyway, so he has no memory of how he uh, sustained those injuries. So, I mean, how many trials did he have? Was it just he, after that the arraignment, then he went, is there, how does that court system work? Did he go to a trial where they literally allow the defense and the prosecution to make their case? So initially, and it's, uh, this, you know, obviously the uh, law enforcement and judicial system are different here. Um, you're, there was a, initially there was an investigator who worked for the police department. But after about two weeks, uh, the, the case was taken over by an investigator from, I'm, it's called the Investigator Committee or Investigator Bureau. It's, uh, it's separate from the police department. And so, uh, well, he, he began his investigation. And uh, about, a month, about the time I arrived in September of 2019, we had an appeal over his method of detention. In other words, him being in jail versus having house arrest or bail. We went before an appellate judge in Moscow City Court, uh, which is the, it, it's basically like a state court here because Moscow is 12 million people. It's, it's a big uh, uh, court system. So that judge, after he heard all the information from the defense, uh, granted bail, which the embassy said they would never do. And the defense attorney, uh, one of them, she was jumping up and down, you know, yelling. But she couldn't believe that he granted bail. And he granted bail for a million rubles, which is about $10,000, $15,000. And it was unrestricted. In other words, he didn't have to stay anywhere or, you know, you know, not leave his house or anything. So he granted that. And then, of course, we had to pay it. Uh, we paid. This was Friday afternoon. And we had money on an account in the embassy. We couldn't get it because they were having a going away party for the ambassador. And it was too short of a period of time for them to get that cash together. But we got it first thing Monday morning. And Lena and I went to the bank, deposited it, and transferred it into the court's bank system. So that was paid. But uh, about that time on Monday or Tuesday, the prosecution appealed the bail. And then we were taken the next week in front of the highest court in Moscow. There's a panel of like eight judges, and there's the senior judge in Moscow. They heard the case. The prosecution argued that Trevor was not properly registered staying at his girlfriend's apartment and that he was a flight risk. And also that the judge who granted bail didn't put a deadline for the payment to be made, even though the payment was already made within the normal amount of time. The court then sent it down to a lower court who then threw out the bail. So our attorneys then appealed it to the Supreme Court of Russia. It's called the Constitutional Supreme Court. They reviewed the case and said that the lower courts had uh, they use a different term, but they violated Trevor's rights. They cannot say because he wasn't uh, a legal resident and registered properly, uh, they couldn't deny his bail based on that. And so then it went to the court of causation, which is another high level court. They agreed, but they said they couldn't handle the release and that needed to be sent back to the Moscow court. It got back to the Moscow court. You know, this is seven months later or whatever, six months later. And it got back to Moscow city court and they, through, they threw it out again on the same principles that the Supreme Court said you can't use those. So the Supreme Court here doesn't have the same authority as the Supreme Court in the United States. So anyway, so, he's never been released from jail. And during all that, that first initial period of time, he is not convicted. So he's just waiting for his trial. Okay, well, so and I should so I should mention so the main trial began the end of February. Uh, there was one pre-trial hearing. And then on March 11th was the first day of the trial. 
And on about March 12th or 13th, the jails were closed and the courts uh, were shut down for everything except cases related to detention or emergencies. So Trevor's trial was put on hold for about four months due to, due to the uh, pandemic. Um, but now as you were asking about his jail conditions, well, uh, I refer to it as a prison. It, it is an old prison. Um, and so they call them pre-detention centers. And Trevor was sent to what I'm told is uh, one of the best pre-detention centers in Moscow. Uh, and I can describe it as uh, saying, looking at prisons in the United States in the 1960s and the 1970s. Uh, when I go in, I go there several times uh, to deliver food and items uh, that you can take directly to the jail and give to, to uh, Trevor. Uh, you, you pass it through and you go through this. It takes a half a day to, you know, to give an apple. Um, but, and then I also go there for visitations. But you know, when you walk in, there's a bunch of trash cans and rats running around inside the building. And so it's, and you know, it looks like the walls and the floors haven't been done in about you know, 40 years. <laughs> so uh, he lives in a room, he's been in different rooms uh, and he's in what's called Spez block, which I guess is a special block. And I don't know why, why that is, but uh, he's in a room with, uh, where there's six beds and there's a, like a picnic table in the middle and they have a TV. And they have like uh, they have to warm. They have to boil their own water. No one drinks the water here. They you know people generally boil it or buy buy their water, and then they can heat up their food in water. Like you put it in a bag, you put it in the water, you heat the water up. That's their you know homemade microwave. I guess you would say. They're brought food. You know I don't know how many times a day, but it's like in the old movies. You know they open a a, a door inside the door and shove the food through the door. Um, they're only time they're allowed to come out of the room uh, in the mornings. They're usually given an, an hour where they take them to a room on the roof that has uh, it has an open roof and with bars across the top. And then there's a cover over that. So the rain and snow won't hit them. But you're allowed to in that room to walk in circles or walk back and forth for an hour. And then they have another room like that that has a weight machine that has like one part of it that works. <laughs> And you can pay 300 rubles once or twice a week or a month or whatever to go there if you want to use the one station weight machine. Uh, so uh, they, he said most, they, uh, the food is a lot of times goulash type of food. And he doesn't complain about the food, but we, we try and bring him or send him extra food. Uh, he has made us feel, uh, a difference in the prisons here and the prisons in the United States, and this is this is very uh, profound, is he told us right off the bat when he got there, someone that's related, you know, involved with the mafia, uh, which is in all the prisons, uh, they immediately tell him what the rules are, and that the rules are there's no fighting, there's no uh, you know violence or, or aggression or anything towards other inmates or then you will be in trouble with the mafia it's not so much that you're afraid you know of the guards although we've heard of other people that have been mistreated by guards but trevor never has been and i want to make that clear but so trevor said look there's no fear of like being hurt here like you know being stabbed or killed or anything like that and he, he later he's told us that he believes the reason for that is because so many of the people inside the prison are innocent. They're not criminals. And it's, and I mean, 
And when you meet the families of these people in the lobby, who the ones who speak English, and it's it's a common story. There's many people who are in prison here for uh, minor crimes, or they are there for some sort of uh, supposed fraudulent business practices. And uh, so it's uh, it's a lot of the people. The percentage of innocent people in Russian jails is far greater than that in the United States. Now, is it what's his state of mind? It's been up and down, you know, during during this time. Uh, there was a period of uh, four months where we were able to, to write to him. But, uh, and by the way, all of our uh, communications with him uh, have to be written in Russian and they're, they're sent through an email system. And he has to handwrite his replies in Russian, which was difficult initially because he, you know, couldn't write Russian or he wrote very little Russian. He's, he'd had very little Russian, you know, uh, language training. Uh, and it's gotten better, obviously, since he's been there. But uh, so the embassy did not speak to Trevor for six months. There were, and, you know, and we were kind of uh, concerned about that because that's one of their primary functions is to, you know, uh, make sure the health and welfare of prisoners inside foreign prisons. And uh, so they had not seen him since February until I think it was June or July. They spoke to him on the phone. Um, and so part of that was uh, the jails were closed now. And we argued, well, the jail is closed to families and it's and but it's still open to attorneys. The attorneys were going to visit their clients in the rooms where families normally went, where there's no direct contact with them. There's glass and bars and you can't you know, touch them. You couldn't get the virus. And so we were kind of arguing, well, if the attorneys can see him, why can't the embassy see him? But uh, that that didn't happen. And then they finally. And then there was problems getting a, a phone card to Trevor so that he could make a call when they would allow him to and the judge would give him permission, which, by the way, many prisoners are allowed to make phone calls on a regular basis to their families, much less to an embassy or their attorneys. And Trevor's never been given that right. And I should also mention one of the Russian prisoners that's in the United States, uh, the arms dealer. Uh, apparently, he was allowed to call Russia every week until recently when there was something happened and they changed his privileges. But I'm thinking and the, the Russian embassy and his wife made a big uh, deal in the, in the media that they'd lost contact with them. And then when you looked at it, they hadn't spoken to him in eight days. Our embassy didn't speak to Trevor for six months. So um, so that so during that time, his uh, mental state was not the greatest. Uh, you know, he kind of felt like he'd been forgotten and he was, you know, he was going to go away for a long time, you know, even though he doesn't, you know, think that he's done anything. And uh, so, but now, uh, since it's all clear what's happened with the, the longest sentence ever given to anyone in Russia for this charge. Um, and the ambassador has been to visit him twice now. And now Congress is speaking out on his behalf and the media is now covering his case. Uh, although no television stations have ever or no network TV stations, CNN, Fox, or any of the major networks have ever carried his story on a primetime news program. Uh, but he's still happy that there is news about him and that people know he didn't do this. And so right now he's actually in, uh, even though he's had this horrible sentence, he's actually in a good state of mind right now. Well, I mean, and the, the sentence is horrible. He's got nine years that he's looking at right now. And I mean, um, I know you have written multiple letters to President Trump and you've not received a response yet. Is that correct? Uh, well, our letters to the president have been through the White House email system. 
And, you know, I've gotten one, one or two, you know, automatic replies, but I didn't, you know, I didn't expect anything different there. Uh, we've, we now have had great response from uh, the State Department and from other agencies associated with them as in regards to Trevor and uh, them, you know, reaching out to the Russian government about him. Um, I was going to ask. You I'm sorry, uh, Secretary Pompeo and the President haven't publicly spoken out about Trevor's case, but we haven't uh, been too concerned about that because you know that might be because they don't want to affect any type of negotiations that might occur, you know, uh, involving Trevor. And so we understand that there's uh, things going on that we we don't understand or know about, and. I mean, obviously, we would like it if the president and the secretary of state spoke out like like they have for Paul Whelan and for other uh, political prisoners. Uh, and by the way, you know, Congress is referring to him as a political prisoner and the ambassador to Russia has spoken out several times about Trevor being wrongfully detained and that there's something really wrong with this whole situation. Now, I know that Trevor has appealed his conviction and there's a hearing now set for October 27th. Is that still on? It is at the moment, but uh, every day here, uh, like in the United States and in Europe, uh, the virus is uh, increasing. So they're starting to clamp down. Uh, and so already I've been told that the courts are now closed to media and people not directly participating in the trial, which they did during the pandemic before. Um, now, Trevor's main trial, uh, it was open. The media and friends and family were all allowed to attend, which Quite frankly, we were kind of surprised that they would allow everyone into his trial and then, you know, hear all the evidence and then give him this horrible sentence. But so we're, I'm hopeful that the trial or the appeal will continue um, and not, they may not, you know, because the problem before, this is strange too. Uh, the courts opened uh, when the pandemic lockdown was slowing down here or opening up. The courts opened back up, but the jails would not allow the defendants to leave for their court dates. <laughs> kind of a, a strange uh, situation. So that's a possibility here, too. If uh, the, the, Even though the appeals date is set, if the jails closed, then Trevor won't be able to leave the jail to go. Well, actually, I take that back. Trevor, it won't matter in that case because Trevor won't actually go to the appeals court. He'll appear on video during the appeals hearings. And we expect there to be between, you know, two and four hearings. That's the normal amount at, at this first level of appeals. So anyway, we, we hope that it will take place. We hope that it'll get a fair hearing. But uh, after the first court, you know, we obviously are, uh, we're not getting our hopes too high. All right, well, give me a second, Joey. I've got to do a thing. i got to take a little break real quick and uh, pay some bills. But we're talking to Joey Reed right now on Free Thinking, who is the father of Trevor Reed, who's being held, has been held in a Russian jail now for close to 435, 440 days. And it doesn't seem like there's going to be any end to this. Uh, but we're hoping and praying for him and his family. And I want to be, uh, say something to all of our viewers right now before I take a break is I want people to be aware of the fact that the Reed family has a GoFundMe page. And let me remember, remind people that this family has been fighting international legal battle on behalf of Trevor for now, you know, close to a year and a half. And the bills are mounting up and they need your help. So please, every bit helps, every bit counts. If you can reach out and give something, give it today. And all you have to do is go to the URL that is www.gofundme.com forward slash free 
dash Trevor dash Reed. Please go up on that GoFundMe page today and see if you can, you know, donate whatever you can and every penny is going to help. I'm gonna take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. And thank you so much for tuning in today. Our guest today is Mr. Joey Reed, who is a father of Trevor Reed, who is an innocent man that's been held in a Russian prison now for almost, you know, 430 days. And he's been held there because we think, and most people think, it's because of, you know, state-sponsored kidnapping, in a sense, to have leverage over the United States and hoping of winning the release of some terrorists and maybe even a cocaine smuggler in exchange for the release of Trevor. And, and this is really crazy because, you know, I know a lot of you know that I've been involved in several cases of Marines that have been left behind. And I do truly believe that you leave no soldier behind. And maybe in fact, Trevor is guilty of a few things, maybe guilty of, you know, disorderly conduct and maybe guilty of getting drunk in public intoxication, but he's not guilty of the charges that have been levied against him, claiming that he was threatening the life and endangering the life of police officers and sentenced now to nine years in a work prison for that, which is absolutely ridiculous. And right now we need to get Trevor back home. And we're joined today by Joey Reed, who is Trevor's father, hoping to support his son in helping him get released. I know that he's got an update or upcoming hearing on October 27th, possibly that may happen, but because of COVID, of course, their court system has been slowed down over there, but hopefully it'll happen. And Joey, I want to ask you, let's go back now over a couple of things that literally are just glaring. And those things that are glaring is that even in his trial, the police officers basically, you know, um, uh, turned their testimony around multiple times. And we find out that videotape even, you know, showed clearly that the car that he claimed to have grabbed the wheel in that swerved never swerved at all. And even at one point in time, I'm told that the judge even started laughing a little bit because he felt that the testimonies were so uh, off. So now your son has been sentenced to nine years in a work prison, you say you just have, you aren't really that hopeful of there being a change. Do you think that Trevor's going to have to spend nine years in prison there? Trevor believes that he will be here for another seven and a half years. Uh, he's already, uh, he's already, in, while you're in a pre-detention center because you're basically locked in a room, uh, you, you gain one and a half days towards your full sentence. So he's already earned over a year and a half's worth of time. Uh, here in his detention center. So his time in the prison camp would be about seven and a half years. And at this point, Trevor believes that he will be here for another seven and a half years unless the United States government is able to uh, to intervene and, and work with the Russian government to uh, to solve the problem. And, and Montel, if I could say this, uh, we don't dispute that Trevor was intoxicated. Uh, and we we have no, nothing that indicates that anyone did that intentionally or that he was drugged, but uh, we know he was intoxicated. And what a lot of people that we've heard from in the United States say is, well, that's what happens when you get drunk in Russia. And everyone gets drunk in Russia. I, I mean, they serve, you know, they serve alcohol at McDonald's and Burger King. <laughs> they, they serve alcohol everywhere. People get drunk all the time. That is not a crime in Russia. 
So this isn't like, you know, uh, people thinking, oh, it's Russia and, you know, and oh, he, he shouldn't have gotten drunk there. Yeah, he should not have gotten drunk and he should not have gotten drunk as he did. But it is not a crime. And let me give an example. He there's another case in Russia about 10 years ago where a drunk man was being taken to a hospital, not the police station. And on the way to the hospital, he grabbed the driver's arm. And the other policeman tried to stop him and the man uh, hurt, uh, he attacked the police officer and he hurt the police officer's eye. He actually injured him. That man was charged with level one and paid a fine and was released. So our argument is, you know, we, we need to let people know that he, he's not, the, this isn't just, every, they send everyone to jail for nine years for being drunk in Russia. That's not, that's not what happens. He's being treated differently and he's not being treated differently in a good way. As far as the police officer's testimony in their written statements initially and in their verbal testimony to the investigator, which was documented, and I have copies of all of it, they said that he grabbed the driver's arm and the car swerved wildly into the other lanes and they had to slow rapidly because they feared the car would turn over. So it wasn't like, oh, it swerved a little bit. It was like a major thing. And then in court, uh, and, and by the way, so there's some key things about the evidence. The defense team went and legally requested the traffic videos from the area where this happened immediately the week after the incident. Uh, they obtained them and then they sent them, they uh, hired government experts to review them and an analyze them. They then made a request to the investigator for those same camera videos. The investigator denied them, said, no, you can't have those, even though they already had them. They also requested a video from a camera inside the police car, Montel, I mean, it showed everything that happened in the car on the way to the police station. And the police officers testified in court that the camera was working. They also requested video from the parking lot of the police station and inside the police station, which we confirmed was not only working, but the investigators saw the videos. All of that was denied to the defense. If you had video of my son doing what he did inside the police car, it would have been over. My son said before the trial started, if there's evidence that I did this, I will plead guilty and I will take my sentence. They hid all of the evidence that would have proved their case if it had happened. And then when they found out that the government experts had already looked at the video and analyzed it, they had to allow it in the trial. So once we showed that to the police officers in the trial, then they tried to say, well, maybe the car didn't swerve. Or, and, th and then they said, so, and maybe we just slowed down. And then the experts testified, no, the car didn't slow down in that area. It sped up. And then they went, well, maybe this isn't the actual street where it happened. And they went, and the defense said, well, you testified here. You wrote here that that's where it happened. And then in the investigator's case where he went out and did a study, is this not your photograph standing in front of a street sign on this street saying this is where it happened? Well, yes, that's my picture. And then they go, so what's your answer? And they go, well, I really don't remember. And the judge laughed, all the reporters in the news in the, in the courtroom laughed. And that happened several times where when they were nailed down to the facts, then they would go, oh, I don't remember. So at this point, we don't believe anything that the police officer said. But then what makes you think then, and what makes anyone think that, that Trevor's just being held as leverage in a, you know, a, uh, release for quid pro quo for some Russian um, detainees that are being held in the United States. Has anybody ever brought that up? Anybody ever said anything about that? Uh, no, sir. They, uh, our government has never said that directly to us. 
and uh, the Russian government has never said it. Uh, Paul Whelan said that they told him from the very beginning that was the reason he was being kept. Uh, they have not told my son that, but again, my son is in a different situation because we don't think they targeted my son. We think that my son became a, a target of uh, opportunity. Uh, him coming to the police station intoxicated and the FSB seeing him there going, you know, well, maybe let's hold on to this person. But the, uh, the United States Embassy obviously was not, I don't think was sure, and I'm speaking for myself here. I don't think they were sure of what was going on here, but they did send a representative who we were very thankful for to every one of the trial hearings. And he was reporting back to the embassy, uh, and I'm sure he was reporting that, you know, it's a sham. And then all of their questions were pretty much on the final uh, sentencing day when the judge gave him the longest sentence of any person in Russia in the last 12 to 20 years. Uh, so that sent a clear signal that, yeah, this is ridiculous. A newspaper in Moscow today, uh, the headline or the, the, the lead quote in the story is, uh, American student sentenced to nine years for bruising a police officer. And he's in the same prison with murderers who've received less time and a famous Russian actor who's just been sent to prison in the last month. And he's in that same prison. He killed a person in a DUI accident and he only got eight years. Now, the Russian embassy in the United States has posted on Twitter that uh, sentences for attacking police officers in the United States are much greater than in Russia. And that may that may be true, but we're looking at Russian law. And the fact of the matter is, is that people who have stabbed police officers knowingly and intentionally trying to harm them have gotten shorter sentences than my son. Absolutely insane. So now what do you think, though? Uh, what do you think, Joey? I mean, do you think that your son's going to get a chance to get out? And of what value is it to hold him in prison for nine years? I mean, okay, so let's say that, that you know, his appeal doesn't go through. I don't understand why the Russian government would want to hold him for nine years for something as simple as being drunk. I think I think there's probably multiple scenarios of, of what could could be going on. And I don't know for a fact what any of them are uh, right now. I would say one of the leading uh, possibilities is uh, negotiation efforts to uh, release the two Russian nationals that are in American prisons who the Russian government sees as political prisoners. And uh, and that's a distinct possibility. And if they were if that was their intention, they're obviously not going to say that that's their intention. Uh, so uh, we hope that there's some some type of negotiation going on. Uh, and obviously, I'm Trevor's father, uh, and I'm going to say this, but I think most Americans should wonder about the two Russians that are in American prisons. One of them was the arms dealer that they, they based the Nicolas Cage Lord of War movie on. Uh, he was captured in Thailand and then transferred to the United States to stand trial. And the other man was a a pilot smuggling drugs in Africa. And he was arrested in Africa and then taken back to the United States and stood trial. It's gonna cost the United States government a half million dollars or more to keep them for another 10 years. And I realized that uh, you know Russia possibly taking people prisoner that didn't do anything and then using them as bargaining chips, uh, you, know, you shouldn't condone that. But at the same time, uh, you know, the president has said his Key, one of his primary objectives is to return Americans wrongfully detained overseas. And he's done that several times in different places. And uh, I, so obviously as a parent, I, I say trade for them. Uh, these, these men were taken because they were former Marines. 
and I, that that's all. And as far I, I believe that it's some it's someone higher than the court where he was convicted. I don't know at what level. I I hope it's not the highest level. But regardless, I, I hope that the two countries can work things out. I wish they would work a lot of things out because the Russian people are fantastic. This is a this is a, a government issue with leaders jockeying for power, uh, wanting to point blame at each other and all the other things that go on at the international level. This this is not good for the Russian people. It's not good for the American people. It's not good for our relationship with each other. Let me remind everybody that the Trevor family or the Reed family has been paying for this out of their pocket. And they have established the GoFundMe page that, you know, you could right now donate to and help them ease some of the costs, you know, uh, pay some of the legal bills that have already mounted and they could use your help. And the URL is www.gofundme.com forward slash free dash Trevor dash Reed. So I want you to go up today and see if you can donate anything you can. Anything you can donate will definitely help. And um, we're going to make sure we pray for, you know, Trevor here at uh, Free Thinking. And we want all of America to do the same thing. If you had a chance to say something directly to President Trump right now, what would you say to him? I'd just say, Mr. President, uh, please help our son. He, he served his country faithfully. He's a good citizen. He, he came to Russia in good faith. He's in love with a Russian woman uh, he, uh, that he has been to our home for years. And uh, he got caught up in something here that is not of his own doing. And it's because he's an American and uh, he served his country. And uh, I think America owes it to him to, you know, to stand up for him. And, and I, I think the president is doing that. Uh, the news reports have said that the president has spoken to uh, President Putin in phone conversations and mentioned Trevor. I've read that on the Internet. And uh, and we're very thankful that that's true. And we just hope that they'll continue that dialogue and hopefully work something out to bring uh, my son and, and Paul Whelan home. And uh, I hate and, to and I was just say, I'm not trying to be a naysayer, but let's say that his appeal does not go well. Do you plan on staying in Moscow till the end of his time? Uh, no, sir. We we can't do that financially, and and I need to I need to go back to work myself. Um, I need to find a, a new job as a fire chief somewhere. But uh, I plan on staying here at least through this first level of appeal. Uh, after that appeal, um, he will be sent to a prison camp, uh, probably a prison camp where a lot of uh, foreign prisoners are sent. And then at that point, I'll, I'll be going back to the United States. Uh, we will continue with appeals to the court of causation and into the Supreme Court if need be, um, because the Supreme Court, we believe, is more open uh, to, you know, like the United States, they base their decisions on the written constitutional law. And so we, we hope that, uh, some, that the appeals courts at some level will uh, will help. Uh, but anyway, we, uh, I, I will have to come home after this first level of appeals is over because Trevor won't be where I can easily uh, visit him. And I have been able to visit him the last, uh, well, since his conviction, I've been able to visit him twice a month. And uh, Lena and I visited him together uh, a few weeks ago, and I get to go see him again next week. And that may, that may be the last time I get to see him before he goes to prison. So, well, and I, I also, 
one one other thing, Monte, I'd like to say uh, thank you to all the people who, uh, family and friends and concerned people who've already donated to our GoFundMe page. We're, we're, we're overwhelmed by their generosity. Absolutely, sir. It's a father's pain and a family's pain. And so sorry that your family has to go through this. <clears throat> I hope and pray that, you know, there's resolution and it comes soon. I'm going to remind people again that the URL for the GoFundMe page is www.gofundme.com forward slash free dash Trevor dash read. Please go up on that today. It's www.gofundme.com forward slash free dash Trevor dash read. And let's see if we can get him prayed today as quickly as possible. I know, uh, you know, hopefully that the president is listening in or will at least hear this or some way, shape or form, you'll be able to get some more national news coverage on this story because you know, this caught me by surprise when I was told about it, the fact that this was even going on. I had no knowledge that this was going on and and want to try to see if I could help you any way I can. So we'll reach out through our social media to every website that we know of that helps support our troops. And I think you said it extremely well. You know I mean? He's served us. He's defended and, and stood up for us. And now it's time for us to stand up for him. So I got to say thank you, Mr. Reed, for being here and being this uh, part of the, you know, free thinking with Montel. And please let your family know that we're praying for them and praying for Trevor. And we hope that this goes well and he gets out after this first appeal. And maybe smarter minds will prevail and calmer minds will prevail and they'll let him get out without having to go through some international trade for other, you know, uh, criminals who literally deserve to be where they are. But like you said, I mean, do we want to pay the fee to hold them in prison when we could just trade him for one of our own and let them come home? Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you for tuning in to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel.